0: For uh, those of you who might have been curious um, to why my compadre here suddenly launched into a Pali solo,
1: <laughs>
0: this is not a completely spontaneous act. But, um, the, um, this is a <coughs> traditional way of uh, inviting a Dhamma discourse to be given and uh, the uh, the word for those of you who are not completely conversant in pali uh hark back to the time shortly after the buddha's enlightenment where um having <coughs> newly awakened newly realized uh, the uh, profundity and subtlety of the of the dhamma shortly after the Enlightenment, then uh, the first thought, uh, or one of the first thoughts that crossed the Buddha's mind was that uh, there's no way that anyone could ever understand this. There's, there's no point even beginning to try to explain this, because he, no one would ever get it, and so just making any effort to try and convey this. Yeah. So subtle, so true, from the world is, is so committed to uh, distraction to self-concern to uh, to becoming that uh, this would just be uh, wearisome and, uh, and vexatious for me so then the, the, the mind of the Buddha was initially inclined towards inactivity towards not teaching so then the story goes that this thought was picked up in one of the Brahma realms by the, the Brahma gods the Humpati. And uh, Samudhi realised that this was a, a this was going to be a disaster if the newly awakened Buddha was inclined towards just um, spending his time on retreat, never talking to anybody, for the rest of his life. So he uh, beamed down from the Brahma world and, uh, taking the form of a of a Brahmin um, human, uh, appeared in front of the Buddha and then recited these words or or spoke these words that uh, Anagaric and Greg so masterfully uh, offered this evening and it's that they mean something like uh, for the sake of uh, those who only have a little bit of dust in their eyes please uh, teach the Dhamma because uh, if you do there are some who will understand and then uh it said the Buddha then looked around the world using his his uh powers of of vision, his psychic abilities to look into the minds hearts of of humanity, and he realized, yeah, Sahampati's right that uh, there are a few that will understand there are beings with lots of dust in their eyes, and there are beings with just a little bit of dust in their eyes, so for the sake of the, the lightly dusted, and uh, the Buddha consented <laughs> to uh, to uh, offer his insights to the world, and so uh, we are the inheritors of that motivation, that in, that uh, initiative of the Brahma Sahampati, So we should all be very grateful for that, I think. And also, it's uh, it's like the same principle lies behind the way that. You know, Buddhism has never been a, a proselytizing religion. It's always uh, one that has to be coaxed forth. We don't go around knocking on people's doors or stopping people in the street. Our uh, rules prevent us from doing that. So it's it's one that uh, relies on um, people having their own interest and, and seeking it out so that we freely uh, offer the teachings that people are, are, are interested, but if we're not invited then we, we happily stay uh, um, following our own uh, our own practice, so I didn't just sort of go around uh, ringing up all the Buddhist centres in England saying, uh, "Do you want to want to lead a weekend retreat?" <laughs> it was the uh, Guy House that contacted me several times actually. Kathy, <laughs> Kathy put great for Cathy McGee, but uh, great. Uh, Great effort to persuade me to come, so uh, it was through uh Cathy playing the part of Brahma thehampatiti and me playing the part of the Buddha. These are hard times
1: <laughs> <You know. laughs> <laughs> but um
0: that uh, we have this occasion this weekend, and um, that uh, and it's also a miraculous. <coughs> To me, anyway, that uh, after all these centuries, more than 2,500 years, the resonance of the Buddha's teaching is still passing down through the through the world and uh, still clear and audible and usable for us, even in these chaotic and difficult times. That uh, in many ways we haven't changed a lot from the, the Buddha's era and. Uh, the uh, the problems are, are very similar, and the solutions are, are very similar. So this, uh, these teachings still have the capacity to to help us to, to free the heart, even in such times so far removed from uh, from his world. Now it's about quarter to nine in the evening and uh, we began the day scarcely 15 hours ago and it always strikes me particularly the first day of a retreat how long a day can be would you agree? (laughs) it's amazing isn't it when you don't talk to other people and you haven't got newspapers or TV or radio it's just you and your mind and a few other Incidentals like you know, breakfast and lunch, tea, <laughs> and entering and leaving buildings and walking around the garden. that um, how long a day is—it's it's quite amazing, isn't it? And then just also when when we haven't got anything to to uh, distract the mind with, when we just watch what the mind does during the course of a day, it's also equally staggering. How many different Characters we are, how many different um, personae sort of move across the stage of our, of our consciousness during the course of a, of a day. Just seeing you know, if we think back just to, to the time that, that today began when we, we woke up and, and joined together here in this hall, how many different moods have we experienced? How many different people have we been? You know the diligent yogi, ardently intent on realizing ultimate reality, you know, the voracious food hound, trying not to look like you're competing for the first place in the queue but at the meal time, the uh, hopeless neurotic wreck. You know the joyful, loving source of light. The uh, the busy little bee, the lazy slug. You know we all have our own menageries of <laughs> kind of of characters that that, that have, have passed through that we've that we've embodied during the course of the day. And all have our own favourite. The um, Star Yogi, the failed yogi, the the non the non-yogi. The I'm not really a Buddhist, I just come here because I want to study the mind. I know I'm not a Buddhist, but I do kind of like all this bowing and chanting and during the course of a day, we, we witness and you might think I'm just talking about you but I'm also talking about me too <laughs> <laughs> So for all of us, uh, there's successions of moods and feelings different uh, kinds of energy yeah, alert and, and bright and heavy and sluggish uh, full and empty, hot, cold, inspired, depressed mm-hmm. delighted, irritated, fearful, interested yeah, you know, all of us have uh, a whole uh, wealth of experience uh, going through our, our awareness during the course of the day. So one of the, the blessings that I find from this kind of practice that I've been talking about a lot of uh, the cultivating the quality of listening. I mean, we're using the nāda sound, the inner sound as, as a sort of tool but it's really the practice is much broader than that because it's it's not just a matter of learning to listen to this um serious inner sound, but it's also in a way learning to it's most useful in, in learning to listen to our own mind. Learning to listen to our thoughts and moods. And it's like we, we sit here and we, we we listen to the the uh the rookery, you know. We can, we can wonder what are they talking about <laughs> all day long. There are really important discussions going on up there. Uh, what are they talking about? Because there's just some really intense um, dialogue going on. What is the the parliament of rooks? What are they discussing? But yet it's just from the human point of view, it's just ka 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 rather like in the Charlie Brown cartoons that, uh, if you have ever noticed I think, I think it, they do it the same in the, ones, the English editions they do in, in the States but if you've noticed that only the children actually speak in words whenever the adults speak all they ever say is gag gack gack gack. gah gah ever noticed that? adults never have anything useful to say in the, in the world of peanuts only the children that have, that actually have meaning <laughs> But yet, just like we can listen to the nada sound or we can listen to the cawing of the, the crows and the different birds in the, in the garden We can also learn to listen to our, our own minds with the same kind of impartiality it often strikes me as very strange how just because a thought passes through our minds, we take it somehow to be true. But just because we think something, we assume that that means that it's related to the way things really are. Right? Have we ever had that thought? You know, I, I think it therefore is true. And if other people think differently, then they're wrong. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I can see a few heads nodding. <laughs> Certainly, that was that was always my impression. And I remember when I I first and I've often told this story, but uh, uh, it's kind of insightful. So I, I repeat it regularly. When when I first showed up at the monastery in Thailand uh, tw- more than twenty five years ago, I'd never practiced meditation before. I was completely new to Buddhism and, and meditation, and uh, Buddhist ideas. And so uh, I was interested in all of this. I just sort of arrived there and was actually, was all I was looking for was a cheap place to stay. So you know sometimes things don't quite work out as you (laughs) plan. The next time you're looking for a free bed for the night, be careful. (laughs) It could turn into a uh, a long-term arrangement. I still have a free bed. (laughs) But There's a price, right? <laughs> so, uh, what was, the, one of the things that was, was really striking to me was that the, the, the novices and the monks that were there, they kept talking about to use an opinion. And, uh, we'd be having, a, I'd be having a conversation with someone, and then they they'd, they'd uh, I'd make some sort of statement, and they'd say, well, that's your opinion. I said, well, no, no, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. So yeah, that's well, that's what you think is a fact. No, no, I don't think it's a fact. It is a fact.
1: You know, like
0: that's the data. It's a fact. And I said, yes. Well, that's something that you really think is a fact. See, <laughs> so these these people are completely impossible. What are they talking about? And so it just was bewildering because I, I, up until that time, I had always worked on the assumption that if I think it, it's true. And if other people think different, then they're wrong. They might be nice people and have all kinds of good qualities, but they're just wrong. <laughs> I could forgive them for that, but <laughs> so they're just not right like me. And then, as as a few weeks went by, and I, and this this kind of theme kept kept coming up over and over, and I was mildly irritated i began it began to dawn on me also because I was starting to to practice meditation a lot you know following the routine you know four or five hours of formal practice a day at least and so I began to see how you know, fickle and and mobile um that the mind was how much it it just was in a constant state of mutation and uh, and was um just a huge variety of thoughts that went through the mind during the course of the day was was, was dazzling and... and depressing <laughs> extraordinary and so then I began to see how uh, after I'd been there for a month or six weeks or so that some of the things that I'd been utterly sure of a month before now I was thinking differently and so I began to put two and two together that well... If that was correct, if this is correct now, but last month I thought something different, then maybe what I'm thinking now that I'm so utterly sure of, in a month's time, then I'll realise that this isn't right either. And then, what does that say about what other people think? <laughs> oh, oh dear, <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. And I began to began to see that 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 surety that I had always had the way that my mind invested in thinking and, and believed in my thoughts was, was really extremely um, poor investment <laughs> very bad stock very unreliable stock indeed and so uh, it uh, began, began to be clear what it was that people were talking about in terms of of what... what we think of as being facts or truths or or absolute realities these are just opinions, ideas, points of view that come and go and change and might have a certain validity a certain relationship to um, uh, some kind of external reality but if it's an opinion it can only be a half-truth and uh, it can't truly and absolutely match the facts because it's a concept, it's an idea it has to be based on a particular point of view and so uh, even when you, you have witnesses you know, you've got data, you've got photographic evidence you know, you've got things that back up your, your idea, your point of view still, you know, the, the fact that we come to the, the more that, that we investigate this we realise that even something that we call a fact you know, even when there's you know, witnesses and evidence, so forth, even then, trying to establish what really happened, you begin to see. I mean, you can't actually say. You can have sort of agreements or, or commonly um, settled upon points of view, but you can't pin down reality, you can't pin down nature in terms of ideas or in terms of of concepts, of words, of It's like the, the scientific realm, you know, that uh, a hundred years ago people had the idea that there was a certain amount of facts about the natural world that existed and we just had to sort of take them off one by one and then at some point we'll get to the end of things that, that can be known about the natural world and then we'll know everything and it will be complete right? they actually closed the postgraduate department of the uh, uh, of the physics of, uh, uh, of the physics department at Harvard University in the 1890s, because they thought there was only a couple of things left to discover. <laughs> Seriously, they thought there were these two weird, there were these two un- unusual things they couldn't quite explain. One was the photoelectric effect, and one was the radiation of of, of hot body and they weren't quite sure how did that work the radiation, the photoelectric effect and and why bodies emitted light in the way that they did but once they got those figured out that would be the whole picture complete and then they could just that's it, it. physics is now known then along came Max Planck and a couple of years later it came Albert Einstein and (laughs) blew the whole thing wide open I remember a few years ago meeting a a, a, a doctor who was he was a, a pulmonary specialist, lung specialist, and he was a specialist in a particular kind of lung disease. And he said that even though he had such a narrow field, he couldn't actually read everything that was published just about his one disease. And, uh, and I said, you are know, he's serious. He said, you can't even keep up with that one little subject. And he gave me this look that, <laughs> kind of went on forever and said, It's an abyss. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the further in you go with any particular aspect of nature, the, the bigger it gets, the more things there are to say. So that far from, from all the facts about the universe being able to be sort of collated and collected and mm. finalized, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now the reason why this is significant is because we we tend to create so much dukkha, so much suffering, stress within ourselves because of believing our thoughts, and even when our thoughts don't agree with each other, you know, we think one thing in the morning and another thing in the afternoon. Somehow we manage to <laughs> keep them all in there together, and so that um, we really get battered around a lot by. Um, Taking our thoughts to be true, you know. Maybe that you were sitting here this afternoon and you had an angry impulse, and then, you, but you were very quick on the uptake, and then you realised, oh, this is this is a feeling of anger, and this is unwholesome and, and you know, not to be followed. Besides, I did the precepts last night, so <laughs> I can't slug that guy for so. annoying me by doing that that thing with his breath that he keeps doing he knows it I'm sure he knows that it, it annoys me <laughs> and he sat next to me deliberately and then no, no, anger, anger this is anger, angry feeling okay, angry feeling, okay let go so then we notice the angry impulse but then shortly uh, afterwards we feel I've been meditating all these years and still I have these angry reactions I really am a hopeless meditator, you know. This is, you know, I've really tried so hard, I and mean, you're 20 years of plugging away, and I'm really not getting anywhere. So we might have recognised that the angry impulse was something to be let go of, but then the sort of the meta, um, meta with a one T, you know, the, the meta thought, the or meta attitude that follows after it, the judgement of me as a useless meditator. We believe that wholeheartedly. we let go of the anger but we take on this judgment of being a useless failed meditator and we take hold of it and cuddle it closely yes, you are absolutely true this is a completely valid judgment (laughs) I am useless well why should the, 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 the judgment about us being a useless meditator be any more real or any more substantial than the angry impulse no reason at all it's just another mental state, it's just another formation A pattern of consciousness that arises, takes shape, does its thing and, and fades away <coughs> Yet it's so easy for us to, uh, to be kind of dazzled to, uh, For the heart to be pulled around by, you know, such feelings of self-criticism or elation or. You know, glowing with success, and then breaking into a million pieces <coughs> with failure. Getting up, excited about something, or upset about something, or being furious that someone's stolen your seat, and then realising that you're looking at the wrong row.
1: <laughs>
0: it happens all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> we get so stirred up, so uh, so carried away. A few years ago, I had an interesting experience where um, in, in the States, where when you get a telephone bill, they print out uh, the, the record of every phone call. I don't know if they do that in, in British phone bills nowadays. But the number that was called and how many... And, and where, uh, where that number was and how many minutes the phone call lasted and how much it cost you. So each little item is enumerated and so myself and, and the other co every month we go through the phone bill and just sort of see where um you know where the phone calls are being made and where the you know money's being spent and see if things, things are being used wastefully or uh, how things are being taken care of so uh, anyway um i began to see that there were these long phone calls to las vegas <laughs> Uh, As you might imagine, you know, being a Buddhist monastery, we don't have a lot of of traffic between us and Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) And so, not even, I didn't even know anybody who lived there. Uh, None of us did. So, we saw this whole string of phone calls, 63 minutes, you know, Las Vegas, 75 minutes, Las Vegas, 85 minutes, Las Vegas, 48 minutes, Las Vegas, you know, fairly regular intervals over this period. And so, do you know anyone in Las Vegas? Who's calling Las Vegas? You know, asking all the different you know, nuns, and monks, and novices, and lay people. Do you know anyone in Las Vegas? Have you been calling Las Vegas? You know, do we know anybody there? Me? No, no, I don't know nothing about it. Las Vegas? No, I don't know anyone there. So, this was getting a little, after a couple of months of this, this was getting really perplexing. And I, I have a bit of a detective streak in me, so I was determined to figure this out. Some, some, there's got to be some, uh, some story behind this. now what's happening here? Well, there must be something. Is there some company that we're, that we're using something for that operates out of Las Vegas search some Maybe one of the novices has got a secret gambling habit <laughs> so they're putting on bets in Las Vegas or they kind of <laughs> they you know even to put a bet on it doesn't take 75 minutes. <laughs> and then so this went on you know, for, for quite some weeks and I was really couldn't figure it out and uh, during this time this was when we were uh, organizing the um, uh, Buddhist Teachers Conference at, at um, Spirit Rock this was several years ago there was a couple of hundred people coming including the Dalai Lama and so there was about a dozen of us who were involved in pulling this this uh, conference together and uh, we never actually met in person so we did all of our meetings through conference calls and suddenly on about the the ninth phone bill (laughs) with these long calls to Las Vegas suddenly it dawned on me I know who's making these calls me (laughs) I'm the culprit because the the conference calls were being routed through a, some little company that operated from Las Vegas.
1: <laughs>
0: all of these calls with Jack Cornfield and and uh, Norman Fisher and Yvonne Rand and Sylvia um, Das and Joseph Goldstein and people all, were, were all meeting together in in sort of virtual space, but so the the phone calls were going through Las Vegas. So I realized, aha. I'm the culprit. So that was fun. <laughs> Suddenly, the detective realizes that you know, that uh, that they uh, they did the deed. But I was already stirred up about it. I was really convinced that someone was had a, a secret life, or maybe one of the other monks had a split personality. You know. They could look you in the eye and say it wasn't me, because it wasn't it them. It was their other self. It was, it was you know, Jason comes out at night (laughs) so it helps us enormously to learn how to listen to the mind to not be um, judgmental or being uh, drawn into believing in all of the the verbiage that goes through all the endless chattering and commentating and and, uh, Doubting and planning and recollecting, revisiting the past, re scripting the past. It's a very popular activity, isn't it? How it could have gone if only I had said this and she hadn't said that, and then she's <laughs> had Scripting the future, that's even more popular, probably. When I get to, when I see you next time, I'm going to say this. When I say that, then he's going to say this. And when he says that, well, I'm really going to let him have it because he can't say that kind of thing to me. You know, off we go. Now, oftentimes we think that that peace comes from t- uh, removing thoughts from our minds altogether. And I certainly, I can I can sympathise with that that view. And I certainly felt like that in the early years, because my mind just chattered endlessly, just incessant, commentating and proliferating. And there was this I get these occasional of, of Powerful ways of feeling it. If it would just shut up! <laughs>
1: just shut up! <laughs>
0: ever had that feeling? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's uh, reasonable to think that if it would only just shut up and I'd never ask you anything ever again, <laughs> I know I would be happy.
1: Okay.
0: But then what we find is that, that we, can, we can experience complete. In a silence, like the mind actually stopping thinking, and yet we're still not happy. <laughs> right? There's a feeling of bliss when it shuts up for the first time, but then we realise, well, you can sit there and the, the mind is free of thought, but it can be actually very boring, <laughs> just like sitting in a watching a, a blank TV or, or. Sitting in an empty room or listening to the nada sound, you
1: know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in and of itself, it's it's not that special. So you know, you might think, "Well, it'd be great!" To listen, to hey, if my mind just shut up for five minutes, I'd, just, you know, whatever, however much money you, <laughs> I could pay you. But then, if that was if that was real peace, if that was genuine, if that was nirvana. If the absence of thought was, was, if just that was full realization, then, uh, poor promazine would be the way to, or, oh, largacol. Just something to make the mind stop. I forget what the, I don't know what the, the current name for that, um, kind of barbiturate that just shuts everything down. It used to be largacol in my era. So. just to be able to make it stop, you know, just take a chemical and then it stops, but then that doesn't liberate us it just means that there's no thinking going on So we, we, we realise that it's not just a matter of, of not thinking but it's more that peace true peace comes from the right attitude and so when we really learn to listen to the mind Obviously, we we train the mind in concentration, and we aim to, to learn how to, to not think if we choose to not think. But we it's not a matter of just worshiping an absence of thought, because really, the the fact is, <laughs> the uh, I would suggest that the fact is that.
1: <laughs>
0: Gotta be careful here. The uh, the real peace comes from right understanding. It comes from that uh, quality of wisdom of, of the eye, of seeing things through the eye of Dhamma. It doesn't come just from quiet conditions, peaceful conditions or, or well-controlled states of mind. It's only when there's, there's real... Uh, a genuine listening, uh, of an openness of heart and uh, listening with wisdom, we hear the thoughts, the feelings, the waves of emotion, the moods coming and going and changing. We listen to them, so we're not feeling that like we've got to wipe them out in order to be peaceful. But also, we don't—we're uh, not—we're training ourselves not to believe in them either. But just to to find that face of of clear, open listening, attending. So. Maybe we use the nada sound as an object or we listen to the crows, the books and the pigeons and the other birds We learn to listen and we find that in that attitude of, of complete openness, non-contention attending closely, without rejecting anything, without grasping hold of anything just that, that open, aware quality so this is where true peace is found So one of the ways that I like to think about this and that you might also find helpful is, because also it can be confusing when our mind is thinking fifteen different things during the course of a day Where, yeah, which is the real me? You know, am I the slug or am I the, the diligent meditator or am I the the the, the rebel you know, who's always got to be at nine and a half degrees away from the the system? <laughs> am I the the wise intelligent one am am I the heartful feeling one am I the the, the brilliant analyst what am I am I the the caring parent am I the the faithful child am I the the loving spouse the liberated meditator what am I who are these different characters am I The, the crumpled heap the next messiah or the utterly mediocre Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) yogi normal
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I am the utterly average meditator I'm so ordinary I can't even be spectacularly bad Mm -hmm. so we we get confused easily because we think of ourselves as a, a single unified entity that I am this thing and then it's confusing when we, all these different characters come wandering through, but in a way it's much more realistic to to look upon ourselves as more of a committee as a committee of characters that you know that have their feelings you have the uh, you know the, the cynical commentator you have the the uh the emotional feeling one you have the ranting three year old you have the pompous uh, pontificator they're all they're all here, aren't they? We are all here <laughs> you, know, you know the wise noble almost completely enlightened one, the uh, crumpled failure. They're all round the table. And so that, uh, during the course of the, to the day and, and through our, our meditation practice generally, and over this weekend, we can train ourselves just like being the, ch- letting wisdom, that wise, attentive, listening heart, be the, the chair, the facilitator of the, of the committee. And so any of us who've ever sat on committees, be part of committees know what it's like when you're, when you're in the chair, your job is to listen so to take in all of the feelings and opinions some of them are, are you know, very sensitive and kind and meaningful others are just deranged, ranting <laughs> there's the, you know, the, the, the aggressive, pompous, belligerent voices and then the, the, the frantic three-year-old I don't wanna, you can't make me, it's not fair I'm gonna hold my breath until you leave this retreat and let me go home. Now oh dear. But the condescending one. All of them are here. So we learn learn to just listen to the inner committee. And just so, as if we're chairing that kind of a of a meeting. Taking it all in and then in the crucible of the heart we let all of those different voices be heard and then just as when we're doing that kind of work involved in that kind of a way somehow we find if we're having a good day (laughs) a way of, of letting all of those come together as a place of spaciousness, of emptiness of receptivity where they all meet and forth from that comes their response to each moment. When we need to push, we push. When we need to hold back, we hold back. When we need to be formal, we're formal. When we need to be informal, we're informal. When we need to be physical and and instinctual, then we do that. When we need to be refined and and, and airy, we do that. So there's a natural responsiveness that comes uh, with the moment. Another aspect of, of learning to listen and a uh, development of insight because also it 's not just a matter of, of learning to, to listen to the voices, but what we find is by listening clearly and understanding these are just the, the habits of, of the mind these are just the, the ripples of, of karma and its results that we are experiencing all the echoes of our of our Life, the events, perceptions, actions of our lifetime are rippling through. It's not just a, as an end in itself, but what we find is when we hear, when we listen clearly, when we attend to the patterns of thought and feeling and emotion in a, in a, a clear and unconfused way, unbiased way, when there's no grasping or contending then that's when we find ourselves able to truly let go we realise, oh this is just the voice this is just that ranting three-year-old in my mind this is just the pompous old git in my mind this is just the, the know-all this is just the, uh, uh, the, the voice of the, the heartful one that loves everything this is the voice of the, the, uh, the complainer that's all it is, it's a voice, it's a thought, it's a feeling it arises, it ceases it's not self so that very recognition uh, of what goes on within within our heart that is the very uh, catalyst that enables the heart to let go to to loosen the bonds of and habits of identification that in us which takes these to be permanent stable realities I am this person I am a failure I am a success I am a man I am a woman I am a monk I am a layperson I'm an experienced meditator I'm totally new all the I am we see that these are just uh, ephemeral changing forms these are just patterns soap bubbles mirages they come into being they have their shape they dissolve there's no fundamental substance there they're devoid of of essence so this very quality of of learning to listen is is like a catalyst for that letting go for loosening the habitual grasping and identifying that goes on within the heart and in that loosening then the heart is liberated and the heart lets go it's liberated there was once a, an occasion in the, recounted in the scriptures where Ananda and another of the monks are, are debating about the nature of, of ultimate reality, of deathlessness. And uh, they are both trying, trying to come up with a, you know, the perfect de- definition of, of how you define and describe the deathless state. How do you describe unconditioned reality, the ultimate Dhamma, such a Dhamma." And they go back and forth and back and forth and so eventually they decide, as they always do in these dialogues, to go and ask the Buddha and see what he says. And the, the wrap to the to the um, exchange is the implication that the Buddha is going to launch into a, like a long, detailed exegesis on, on ultimate reality. But uh, Ananda comes to him and says, you know, venerable sir, please, you know, uh, you know, Southern Monk and I have been debating and we've said this, you know, as usual he recounts the entire dialogue <laughs> as it occurred. And then he says, so, how best can one describe the deathless state? And with that whole big wrap, you think the Buddha's going to give this great big, um, spiel on it. But instead he just says, the cessation of grasping is deathlessness. The cessation of grasping is deathlessness. That's simple. So that when we notice the clinging going on and this is something that all of us have seen probably dozens of times during the day. When you notice the mind is grasping, clinging to something and you feel that tightness and then you recognise that and you feel the discomfort the, uh, the contraction of that, the tightness of that, and then we just relax, let go. There's a natural sigh of relief, a yawn. Ah! There's a relief there, a relief. Now, we might not think that the realization of deathlessness, we might think, well, that's just <laughs> the pleasantness of changing my posture and my legs ache, well, that's just the uh, the pleasantness of letting go of a rehearsing an argument that hasn't happened yet. But if we if we stop if we just notice what do we what's experienced when the grasping ceases? And that moment of letting go, if we really attend, if we listen, if we notice there's no sense of self. There's peacefulness, there's clarity. And an utter simplicity It's not an ecstatic state It's not like a sort of bolt of electricity shooting up our spine and purple lightning forming around our heads It's just uh, a quiet normality and a complete ease even if it's only for half a second If we just notice in that moment everything is absolutely okay But because it's so unremarkable the mind assumes this is nothing special and just hops straight over it and looks for the next thing to be worrying about. So when we're learning to or practicing this quality of, of listening and we recognize particular voices for what they are and the heart lets go really let yourself notice that what is the the state that is realized when the grasping stops what quality does this have just let that truly and fully be known let yourself really taste that know that, feel it and then as best you can try to let the, the heart rest in that spacious, empty knowing that's there when the, when the grasping stops. In the Buddha's description of the four noble truths, each of the four truths has a uh, a way that it is supposed to be handled. The Buddha said, "The cessation of dukkha, dukkha-nirodha, is to be realized," and that's something that. You know, Maybe is not familiar a familiar teaching to many of us, but it's extraordinarily significant because what it means is that we need to notice that the suffering has stopped. We need to notice that there there is now no tension. We need to notice that right now everything is absolutely okay. Because if we don't notice it, we'll miss it, and the mind the attention. It goes to the next thing, the next object, the next uh, thing that's exciting or irritating or frightening or has potential or possibility, goes to the next sankara, the next object. So we miss the space, like in this room, you know, the attention goes to the people, to the windows, to the sounds. We don't, the attention doesn't go to the silence between the sounds the silence between my words the spaces between people because the whole system of attention and perception is geared around objects so we don't notice space unless we consciously attend to it so one another of the aspects of listening training the mind to listen to the nada sound it's like learning to notice space And learning to notice that quality of true peacefulness, selflessness, awareness That's here, whenever the grasping ceases It's that simple That close This is all we need to do So perhaps one, one final um, point on this is you know, I was talking in terms of just tracking and, and listening to the voices that arise on their own. But sometimes you know, to help cultivate the insights into selflessness, and transiency, uncertainty. Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. With regards to the mental world, it can help to actually just spell out the attitudes that are forming the the feelings that we have just to internally to give it full voice. You know, that sometimes we we uh, we just wait for things we just sort of things hover around in the edges in the wings and when things are sort of half seen and they have they have a lot of power, when you get them front centre and you put the lights on them, then they they lose a lot of their power. You know, we can we can see them for what they are. So this is, you know, if you're sitting meditating and meditating and there's an ache in your leg and you're and you know, just trying to work with the pain and trying to bring sort of relaxation and loving-kindness to it and there's this sort of, oh God, this is so irritating Should I be moving? Should I not be moving? Oh, this is such annoying. This knee really feels like it's going off. To ah. so just be able to, to notice that grumbling, uh, worrying, complaining just to be able to bring that forth and just to to give it a voice I hate pain I hate you (laughs) go away if you weren't here I would be happy I promise if I didn't have this cold I would be able to be peaceful or whatever it might be that the mind is is throwing up I'm suffering because I'm on retreat if I wasn't here at Gaia House I could be doing all sorts of really interesting things somewhere else that would make me happy this is the best place in the world to be I don't care about my family (laughs) I don't care about my debt I don't care about my (laughs) monastery this is the best place in the whole world to think the unthinkable just to state clearly what our mind is doing or the love, the hate, the opinion just to spell it out, it's like uh, colouring it with highlighter and when we we spell it out, it's not because we actually want to be developing hate, more hatred for our, the pain in our leg than we were before <laughs> it's just that by highlighting it, by amplifying it in that way somehow we, we, we ruin the trick, it's like spotting what the conjurer is doing you see the strings, you can see the cellar that holds it all together you saw what the conjurer is doing with the other hand. So that the, the trick, uh, we spot how the trick is done, and in that same way, we find that it's that much easier to to let go. When we, as soon as you make that that like, kind of statement to yourself, like, "I hate this. I don't want pain," but just hearing that voice internally it it, it, it triggers something in our heart that is bigger than that that we know yes, there is that feeling of aversion but yes, there's more to it than that the world is bigger than that if you are longing to be peaceful or longing to hear the nada sound when it's evading you or I'm feeling left out I'm excluded here, I'm the one that doesn't belong I'm different from everyone I can prove it I'm the only monk here I am different from everyone (laughs) but just uh, uh, you can probably get a feel for it even as you try and say it to yourself I I usually can't even get to the end of the sentence when I do this because it, it, it triggers that intuition in the heart that knows there's more to it than that, and that's the point. The point is not the words that we're using or the concept we're bringing up, but that that catalyzing of the the heart's release, the heart lets go. It awakens to its own true nature. There's the heart awakening to the Dhamma in that moment. That sense of oh. It's bigger than that. There's more to it than that. Ah. So when that, that release occurs, when that, that liberation is, is catalyzed in that way, just to notice that. Let yourself feel that. Even if it's just for a second, half a second, couple of seconds. Just let yourself truly know that. Because this is the path. This is the way out of all dukkha. All suffering, all discontent, all alienation. Just that much. Just the cessation of grasping. So I offer these thoughts for consideration in this evening. <laughs> SADHU